Hello, folks. Matthew Garnett here with In Layman's Terms. We've got none other than Joel Osteen this week. He kind of preaches the same sermon every week. Think positive, say positive things, and positive things will happen. And what we're going to find out is, you know, we like to uh, maybe make fun of old Joel. He's got the southern twang. He's got the big teeth. He's got the great hair, the look, the whole nine yards. I understand he's kind of short, though. Anyway. We like to make fun of Joel, and we think Joel Osteen might be cute and funny, but quite honestly, his preaching is satanic, and that's really what we're going to talk about as we critique this Joel Osteen sermon this morning. But before we get to all that, please go to laymanstermsradio.org and donate to our Men of Steel project. There, we'd like to get a consultant together to get us a proposal that we could present to potential uh, donors or investors uh, to a truck driving school that would train former inmates how to drive big rigs. So I think that's a decent idea we have here to uh, give back to our community and help some folks that have maybe not gotten a fair shake in life or made some major mistakes in their life and they need a second chance. This would be a great opportunity for them. I already have read a lot of uh, articles and know of a lot of situations where guys have come out of prison. They've learned how to drive trucks. Uh, people with felonies are allowed to have driver's licenses and CDLs. Thank goodness in this country. Uh, we don't uh, completely destroy their lives. And a lot of these guys, I've talked to some parole officers and stuff. They just say, hey, these guys just want a second chance at life. That's really all they're looking for. And given the opportunity, they, they'll they'll jump on it. And that's what we want to do with Men of Steel. And really expand that out from there to extend maybe to high school students looking to go into the trades and and, and whatever else uh, we can do. Because we really are convinced that you don't necessarily need to go to college and do all those sorts of things to, to have a flourishing career. I mean, I know a lot of young guys who have you know started driving when they were 21, 22, and now they have their own fleet of trucks. It's uh, not out of the realm of possibility. Same thing in all the other trades that so we're trying to do our part to promote that and to keep people out of college where they get all these bad ideas these days and uh, run into folks like Joel Osteen that uh, probably don't have their best interests at heart but have some sort of other agenda. And that's uh, that's what we're kind of shooting for here. And, you know, and, and again, really just carry forth the Christian spirit of the forgiveness of sins and, and redemption and another chance at... Uh, trying trying to do life according to the commands of Holy Scripture. So that's what we're shooting for. We need to get uh, a bit more money raised. We're getting there. Uh, we're going to, again, with this new season of, in layman's terms, we're really hoping to push that. And really, my goal is to get that done by the end of the year and get get started on that so we can start uh, approaching people with with this idea and and see where it takes us. And we're excited about it. We hope you'll be a part of it. Thank you very much for the donations that have come in already. And thank you in advance if you will donate. Please, a donation of any size is greatly appreciated. Okay, so we've got Joel Osteen this morning. And again, he is cute and funny. He's got the big smiley teeth and he's got the southern twang. But there, And he tells this little joke at the beginning, which is always the best part of the sermon because the rest of it's just completely worthless and lies. And that's what we're going to see this morning. And that's what I really want to ferret out here this morning. I really want to focus on and make the main point. That's the drum I want to beat is that he, you know, 
as funny as he is and as much, you know, as much as the even the maybe even secular people like to make fun of him for for being silly and having silly ideas and that sort of thing. These silly ideas ruin lives, quite, quite frankly, Um, you know, anywhere from people being just disappointed in what's going on in their lives to people actually committing suicide. When you promise somebody, when you make false promises to people uh, and what you told them was true, especially when you're acting under the authority of God, that is genuinely bad. Uh, when you tell people, hey, this is what the truth is, this is how reality works, this is how life is um, as a Christian, and if you want to become a Christian, etc., etc., uh, they do that under uh, a false authority from God. They do it in Jesus' name, and and you'll see Osteen, that's one of his, that's how he rounds out his little creed at the beginning of his sermons, is, you know, in, you know we... We vow we will, we, I don't know what the whole thing is, but it's something like we vow we will learn the word of God today in Jesus' name. And when you speak in Jesus' name and under his authority, then you are obligated to speak the truth. Uh, and that is something you should take very, very seriously because, for one thing, it's blasphemous to use the name of Jesus to promulgate lies. I think we can all agree on that. Practically speaking, when you speak in Jesus' name and you say, hey, these things are true, I, I know the Bible. And that's part of the problem with, with many people in the United States today. They don't know their Bibles. They think, I'll just show up to church once a week, wherever. Let's see. We're in Houston. What's, a, what's an interesting church to go to? We'll go to Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church. That's what we'll do. And they don't know their Bibles, and they go in there and they hear Joel Osteen preach these sayings that sound great and the music's great and they're in the old compact center and it's this gigantic exciting thing oh this is wonderful honey we're going to church every week and the kids are in the sunday school and we've got our weekly dose of christianity well folks i've uh, this is something i've tended to say to teenagers to adults and here on this podcast is if if you're not reading your bible on a regular basis more or less on a daily basis, I'd say a good five out of seven, four out of seven days, you're wrong. That, in fact, is sinful. That's what we Lutherans would call uh, a, a breaking of the third commandment. And the third commandment for us is is the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath day is not simply about a day of rest, although it you know that's a, that's a piece of it. And when it was given to the Jews, that was a large piece of it. But but the main piece of it, what makes the day, day holy or what makes anything holy really is God's word. And so we Lutherans say part of the, we, we don't say, we, we are convinced that Holy Scripture teaches us. I want to make that distinction. We don't, we don't, oh, we just, we think this is what it means. No, that's not what it is. We are convinced that what the third commandment centrally teaches us, and we see this also from the writer of Hebrews, is that what hallows things is God's word. And therefore, if you despise God's word, you are sinning. <laughs> you, in, in fact, if, if you don't have a desire and you're not studying the Bible on a regular basis, you are sinning. Now, that can be as something as simple as showing up to church once a week. I don't think that's good enough because you need to know what Holy Scripture teaches for yourself. You need to read the words yourself and understand them. Now, that doesn't mean that you go to church and then during the week you read the Bible 
And then you think, well, I think that, that this passage of scripture means this. And then your pastor preaches on it and you go to your pastor. Well, pastor, I, you know, you preach this on this passage of, of, of God's word and I read it and I think it has a completely different meaning that may, that may come to pass, but it, this is not, again, that's why I wanted to make that distinction. This is not a, well, I, it's my opinion that this is what God's word says here. And it's your opinion that it says there, and we'll just have to agree to disagree. That's not how God's word works. There is a meaning to what God has written. See, I think we swim in these postmodern waters where you've got your truth and I've got my truth, and we all kind of fall victim to that more often than we really care to realize. And we have this approach to the Bible that says, well, you know, what's, what's, your, what's your interpretation of this? You know, or according to whose interpretation are we going to go forth with what God has spoken to us in his word? Uh-uh. There is an interpretation of God's word. There is a central meaning. Now, is there nuances and layers we can look, to, look into? Of course, we can study God's word our entire lives, which I've done and probably many of you have done. And you'll find that, that you, the central, while the central interpretation or meaning of a certain passage of scripture never changes. You see another nuance, another layer. And then often what you, what you also find, I don't know if you guys find this or not, but a lot of people I've talked to and, and, and my experience has been in studying Holy scripture that you come across verses that you just never noticed before. I mean, treasures. I was, uh, fortunately had the, the privilege of writing for my, uh, for my denomination's publishing house that, uh, a month of their devotionals for next year. I'll, show that off when that all comes out. But anyway, I was, I'm covering the book Isaiah and Isaiah has become my favorite book in all of Holy scripture, hands down. I never really got into that. What's your favorite book of the Bible? All Romans or Luke or whatever. I never, how can you pick out your favorite parts of Holy scripture? Like one's more important than the other. Well, (laughs) in a sense, that's kind of true. There are more important passages or more germane passages in Holy scripture more important verses, uh, more central verses, that sort of thing. Not that it's not all God's word. It certainly is. Uh, but the point being that I, I just fell in love with Isaiah uh, by studying it in depth and writing a uh, writing a, a devotional on it and found some just, uh, found a, a verse in Isaiah 28. Tw- it's uh, Isaiah 28, 18. Go look that up. It's, it's just an amazing gospel verse that I just never noticed before. <laughs> I've read Isaiah many times. Uh, studied it in college uh, and in grad school. So you need to read your Bible. And if you're not reading your Bible, you're wrong. That's a sin. It is a sin to not study God's word. And think about that. If we really believe that Holy Scripture is God's word, people will call this out, uh, call people, call Christians out on this all the time. Oh, well, you guys say that you believe this stuff, but you don't really believe it because here's how you act. There's something to be said for that. Now, What's the first answer to that? Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. It's not a, you know, let's bootstrap this thing. Let's pull ourselves up by our bootstrap. Let's do more. Let's try harder to get into God's word. The, the first thing we need to do is repent and believe that Jesus bled and died for that sin. We, we, that's something we need in our culture right now is to know that we have the forgiveness of sins. And the only place you can get in our culture the forgiveness of sins right now, as many of you know who follow politics or culture at all, uh, is is the church. And even in the church, and as we're going to see with Osteen, and as we saw last week with Jake's, uh, there's uh, there's no forgiveness of sins out in our culture. 
And there's no forgiveness of sins sometimes within the, quote, church. And I would not consider uh, T.D. Jakes's gathering or Joel Osteen's gathering to be part of the church. Now, are there believers there? Yes, we mentioned that last week. We can be glad that uh, some of these guys actually read straight from God's word. and that, But, but that's one, that, one thing that's satanic about Osteen. He does not read directly from God's word. He may quote little snippets here and there, but he paraphrases God's word, Holy Scripture, in every sermon. I have never seen him open his Bible and read from it that, that I recall. Now, he might have in the past, and you know, he might kind of pretend to do that. Uh, seems like he used to walk around with the Bible in his hands, but he doesn't do that anymore. It's too much of an encumbrance. He doesn't speak behind a pulpit. That's too limiting to his big personality that he wants to get across. He doesn't, you know, want that pulpit separating him from the people in the gigantic compact center because he's really got to draw that crowd in. So we can be glad that in some places the word of God is spoken and read from Holy Scripture and God's word is powerful. That's what converts souls. That's what St. Paul teaches us in Romans. I, I believe in the gospel, for it is the power of God, etc., etc. Okay. So, God's word can convert, and there can be Christians within these gatherings, but we would not consider them uh, a part of the church. Now, how do we, we kind of make that distinction? Well, here's how I make it. What's their stated doctrine? We know what we know. We saw what T.D. Jakes's stated doctrine is. You know, people who are in charismatic and Pentecostal circles. We know what their stated doctrine is. Same thing with Olstein. We know what he says he believes, and it's not Christian. And in fact, it's not cute and funny. It's satanic, as we're going to discover this morning. So, at any rate, central themes here this morning again are: uh, there's there's nothing cute about Joel Olstein, and know your Bible, and you'll avoid this nonsense. Uh, at any rate, and if if you know people, uh, that's the thing with a lot of these uh, podcasts. We you know let's not get sequestered off or kind of siloed off in our own little world over here. If you know people who are big time Joel Joe Osteen fans, a lot of times all it takes is some exposure to something like this podcast. Say hey, listen to this and see. Tell me what you think. You know you don't have to get in a big knockdown drag out argument with them about any, anything theological, but just simply pointing out that Joel Osteen doesn't preach God's word. In fact, he preaches lies. And you have somebody point that out, point that obvious fact out. A lot of times the Holy Spirit will use that to open their eyes to the fact that, you know, they probably shouldn't be following Joel Osteen. They should be doing something else. At any rate, there we go with that. Let's get started with Joel Osteen. Uh, the sermon's called The Best is Next. Here we go. Well, God bless you. It's great to come into your homes, and I hope you'll stay connected with us throughout the week. We have a daily podcast that you can download, or you can go to our YouTube channel, watch the messages anytime, or of course, you can follow us on social media. But thanks for tuning in today. We're going to do our best to keep you inspired and encouraged. I like to start with something funny, and I heard about these three pastors that were in a boat on a lake fishing together. One of them said, we never get to let our hair down. Let's each tell the area that we struggle in the most. 
our greatest sin so we can pray for each other. The first pastor said, I hate to admit this, but I have a problem with gambling. Sometimes I sneak out at night and gamble. The second pastor said, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I have a problem with cheating. I hardly ever pay my taxes. The third pastor sat there silently. They waited and waited. He wouldn't budge. They said, we are not leaving until you tell us your greatest sin. He said, all right, my greatest sin is gossiping, and I can't wait to get off this boat. <laughs> Say it. Okay, old joke. I'm aware of that one. That's the best part of Joel Osteen's sermon. Again, this is from several months ago, so you can see that they're, they still got the COVID restrictions in place there at Lakewood, although they're not as strict as T.D. Jakes. Looks like they got quite a few folks down front. I'm not sure what's going on. Irrelevant. Anyway, there's the best part of the sermon right there. If you want some good dad jokes, just cue up your Joel, Joel Osteen sermons. And listen to the the very beginning of each one. He tells a good, fun. Some of them are funny, uh, dad jokes. That one is is an old one. I don't think it's particularly that funny. But anyway, that's the best we're going to hear this morning, folks. Like you mean it? This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. God bless you. Right, there's the Lakewood Creed. We say the Apostles' Creed every morning at my church. Um, and, and the Nicene, we say the Nicene Creed in church, and, and we work on memorizing the Apostles' Creed in our Bible study. At any rate, we, we confess these ancient creeds, which are biblical. That is not a biblical creed. Uh, necessarily because of what, what, what they mean by that. What is the Bible at Lakewood Church? It's what Joel Osteen says. It's that whole idea we just went back to, these postmodern waters we swim in where whatever a certain person's interpretation of Scripture is, that's what we adhere to. So if you like the positive message, the positive thinking type of interpretation of Holy Scripture, you trust Joel Osteen's interpretation of it. If you like the more rigorous scholarly study of Holy Scripture, then you might turn to somebody like, uh, well, it's just somebody out there, John MacArthur. He's a good, he's a, he is a good student of God's Word. Disagree with him, thinks some of what he believes is wacky, very skewed. Maybe we can do one of his sermons one day. But that's the kind of person you might turn to. If you're a high church liturgical, like I am, like a lot of ceremony and that sort of thing, then you'll go to that kind of church and you'll trust that kind of interpretation. Okay, well, what's wrong with all that? Well, we've just turned Joel Osteen, John MacArthur, and my pastor into three little popes. They're the ones that are promulgating the interpretation of Holy Scripture to their audiences. Now, is that a sound way to interpret Holy Scripture? Obviously, it's not. And that's the thing I don't think we think about a lot of times or think through when it comes to understanding Holy Scripture. It's not what style or what kind of personality or what kind of hair or teeth or anything else or how big somebody's building is or what kind of 
worship service they do that determines whether or not someone's understanding and interpretation and preaching of God's word is correct. What determines that is, in fact, what the text says. Now, this is a different um, this is a different idea among us, especially in our culture. You might think, well, somebody's got to be the interpreter of Holy Scripture. Now, this this was the thing the Romanists went on and still go on uh, today. Is yes, of course, we believe the Bible is God's word, but who's going to give us the proper interpretation of God's word? That's not how God's word works and never has. There is an interpretation. Words mean things. The, the reason I'm convinced that, that, that everything hangs on the power of God's word and why Holy Scripture as God's word is powerful is because words can be read and commonly, universally understood. Now, here's the, here's the thing about the Bible. Uh, it's not that difficult to understand. Most parts of it. There are difficult passages. St. Peter teaches us this teaches us this in his epistle. <coughs> says that there are some things in St. Paul that are difficult to understand. That's true. And what happens to those things that are difficult to understand? People take the scripture and they twist it to their own purposes. Maybe with those passages that are difficult to understand, they'll take those difficult passages, say in Paul, or even from Jesus, or somewhere in the Old Testament, like we saw from Jake's, they'll take those and they'll twist them to their own purposes. That will happen. However, what, mo what happens most of the time is they, they say, okay, well, here's the, here are these few difficult passages that nobody can really understand what they mean. So therefore, let's just interpret the whole Bible, you know, with some sort of allegory. Let's let's put our own interpretation on the Bible because we can't understand these, and we have to turn them into an allegory of some sort. Let's just do that with all of the Bible. That's you'll find if you study your Bible, and again, you should be studying your Bible. You'll find that most of the, most of Holy Scripture is very straightforward. It, there's no ambiguity about it. It's clear. There's, you know, the only reason we want to put our own interpretation on it is because we don't like it. That's what happens. We read a passage of Holy Scripture, we go, ooh. You know, St. Paul says, women should not be pastors. Women should not be preaching or teaching in the church. We don't like that, do we? Especially in our day and age. Boy, that's a very unpopular message. You know, good old Beth Moore just left the whole Southern Baptist Convention over that sort of thing. It's difficult. So we want to put our own twist on it. Well, St. Paul was preaching from a particular culture and that sort of thing. We don't use that. We don't. Use, that's something else, folks. When you're listening to somebody give you an interpretation, interpretation of Scripture and the text is plain and they're having to do all these verbal gymnastics and say, well, what this really means here is this and now we understand that it really couldn't have meant that. That was a cultural thing, or you know, there there's a you know big complexity to the words here. No, uh, we believe that God's word is clear. This this is actually a classic Christian principle. It's called the perspicuity of Holy Scripture. That is something we rely on. That is the clarity of Holy Scripture. Again, not that there's not parts that are difficult to understand, like Revelation, like some things in Romans, like some things in the Old Testament. Not that they're not difficult to understand. It takes some study and understanding of culture and these sorts of things. It's that, for the most part, 
broadly speaking, when you read Holy Scripture and it says, I, St. Paul says, I do not, inspired by the Holy Spirit, incidentally, not incidentally, primarily, inspired by the Holy Spirit, St. Paul says, I do not suffer a woman to speak or teach in the church. It's clear. There's there's no, and, and you've got other passages of Scripture to back that up to boot. That, you know, there's just not many places you can go with that. And I don't know about you, but I've gotten to the point in our culture where I'm, I'm stopped being ashamed of that. I'm just, this is what Holy Scripture teaches us. And my answer, and somebody said, well, that's ridiculous. You, you keep, you oppress women and not allow them to preach or teach. First of all, maybe some of you have heard me say this before, but putting a woman in the pulpit's like putting a woman on the front lines of combat. It just shouldn't be done. Because you're putting a big old target on her back uh, for, for Satan's attack. And we don't put our women on the front lines of the battle. Not if you're a man. That's, that's exactly why St. Paul did that. Men need to be on the front lines, especially in the spiritual battle. All right, so somebody come along and say, well, you're oppressing women. No, I'm not. I'm protecting them. But that aside, I just say, I don't. it doesn't really matter what you think should be done. What God teaches us through, through St. Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that women should not be pastors. That's what he teaches us. And so at the end of the day, people might say, well, why don't you, why? We, I see even people who I would consider, you know, conservative Christians, very learned folks. You've got friends and, and colleagues and contacts in, in the Southern Baptist Convention. They'll really have to try to dig in and even I do that with my explanation of putting people you know putting women on the front lines I mean that might make a certain amount of sense to people oh okay well I, I didn't know you all really looked at it that way we didn't you didn't yeah we really believe there's a spiritual battle going going on and we're against putting our women on the front lines of that battle oh okay that makes some some amount of practical sense but at the end of the day as a Christian if you're not bold enough to say, why don't we allow women to be pastors? Because God said so. If we're afraid to say that, we need to come back. I, we need to come back on it. And come back and say, because really at the end of the day, that's the ultimate argument. If God said, do this, and we talked a little bit about this last week, we were talking about God speaking to our hearts. That's such a that's why it's such a terrifying prospect for God to lay something on your heart or put something on your heart because God's word is binding. If God says do it, he's the ultimate authority. Why is that important? We've talked about this before, especially in relation to postmodernism. If God is not the ultimate authority, somebody else will be. So again, you know, might give the practical answer. God's word says so. Why aren't women allowed to be pastors? God's word says so. Oh, well, that's ridiculous. And then I go, oh? So let's just lay this little syllogism out. If I believe that there is a God, that God exists, and I believe that I have words from God, commands from God, then it would make ultimate sense to obey those commands, would it not? Yeah. All right? So now if we want to back up and talk about does God exist, we can talk about that. We want to back up and talk about do we have God's word, we can talk about that. But let's just assume for the sake of argument those two things are true. It would be ridiculous for me to disobey or contradict 
God's word. If I believe he exists and he's given me a word, that would be insane, in fact. That's, and that's the very definition of unbelief, insanity. I mean, sin is insane. At the end of the day, if you look at when people commit sins, what does it do? It just, it just completely it, it, it damages them for sure. And it might completely destroy them. And we go, why did you do that? That's completely insane. Yeah, that's what sin is. And that's exactly what it would be if you were to contradict, disobey, not believe God's word when you believed you believed there was a God and you had his word. See, now you're starting to see how important it is to read the Bible. Because if you believe there's a God and you believe you have his word, but you ignore it, that's insanity. You, <laughs> It's crazy. You don't want to do that. Really, really bad idea. You need to know God's word. Not, not only so you don't fall prey to somebody like Joel Osteen, but because it just makes complete sense. Now, somebody will come back and go, okay, well, I don't I don't believe any of that. And I go, well, okay, so we have a couple options. It, in your syllogism, your argument, God, so now you've actually stepped in, into, in, in, my, in my syllogism, in my understanding of the universe, really, in reality, now you've stepped into the role of God. Are we seeing this in our culture these days, folks? Yeah, 100% seeing people step into that role of God and, and promulgate and put forth and dictate, speak. Oh, this is what the Pope did, folks. He spoke ex cathedra and he gave us his decrees, these, the, the papal bull from on high about what is true and what is false. Do we not have a bunch of little popes running around today? So unless you want to be subject to the next little pope who decides to come along and dictate to you reality, I suggest you learn God's word. Right. So it's not just falling uh, prey to, to, to Joel Osteen here. All right. So at any rate, and, you know, you saw him flip the Bible around, set it down in the pulpit. That's the last you'll see of that. He's going to paraphrase the rest of it. I want to talk to you today about the best is next. It's easy to get satisfied where we are. When we've seen blessing and favor, God's protected us, promoted us, opened doors, we can start thinking that we've seen our best days. But God never does his greatest feats in your yesterdays. They're always in your future. The scripture says the path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter. What God has in front of you is more fulfilling. See that? See that right there? The scripture says... The path in front of you gets brighter and brighter. Nowhere in Holy Scripture does it teach that or promise that. You might be able to find a passage out of context where God is saying to a certain person, look, you've had this this kind of got dealt this raw hand. Well, going forward, you're going to prosper and prosper and prosper and things are going to get better. In certain circumstances, that's that's true. When you think about your own life, sometimes you have hard times, um, and and God intervenes, helps, hears your prayers, and things get better. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Comes back and forth. Who's? I mean, who? Who? I want to also ask Joel here. Who does he know that has been going through life or their <laughs> their entire life? And things have just gotten better and better and better and better and better all the way through. 
I don't know anybody like that. I mean, I, I guess in the broad spectrum of things, if I look at my life, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, nah, that's not even true. I was going to say, yeah, my life has kind of steadily gotten better over time. Nah, not really. It's got, it'll, it'll go through a time, you know, where it's gotten better, 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 and then I'll fall off a cliff. Better, better, better. That might, I, I could see that happening for folks, but that's not, that's not promised to us. It's not. I mean, I'm, I tend to be a little, if you know, know my history, you know, I went from being an, an evangelical mega pastor to essentially becoming an atheist, you know, liberal mainline Christianity thing. That was kind of a fall off the cliff. And then God be praised. I, the Holy Spirit brought me back into the church and things have been, you know, and that's not, not, not just spirit. I'm just talking about my, my life was terrible when I was an atheist type of thing. I don't know if I ever really was an atheist, but that's beside the point. The point is, is that you're not, that you're not promised that you could be a completely stable person. You, you might not be a crazy person like me who goes out and does uh, nutty stuff. You may be a completely stable person. You know, you're a heart surgeon. And life's better, better, better. And then something tragic happens. You know, you lose a spouse or, a, a, you know, a child or something. You know, mom and dad. Okay. So life has its ups and downs. But you notice Olsen just snatches this verse right out of context and doesn't even read it from the Bible. Just paraphrases it. Okay. Just keep an eye on that as we go through. More rewarding than anything you've seen in the past. But sometimes before it gets brighter, it gets darker. Before we see more than enough, we go through a season of not enough. There are times the good has to come to an end to make room for the best. Doesn't make sense to us. Why did my business slow down? Why did this person walk away? Why did this door close? It's all a part of God's plan. He's shaking things up to move you out of the good into the best. If he did Okay, so no, that's not true. And think about St. Paul's life. St. Paul did not go through the bad to move into the best. Now, temporally speaking, and understand that's how that's what Osteen is talking about. Notice his language. He, you know, he's closing this door, the business this, and that your life that, and so on and so forth. He's not talking about because if you talk to St. Paul, St. Paul would probably say, "Yeah, my life got better and better and better and better." Yeah, but St. Paul, you you were a renowned Pharisee with all all the trappings that that brought. And then you decided to become a Christian, and then some persecution started, and it kind of stunk, and you got thrown in jail, and that wasn't so great. And then you got shipwrecked, which is terrible, and then you got bit by a snake, and then you got shipwrecked again, and then you got executed by the Roman government. Your life was terrible. You really got dealt a raw hand. And in St. Paul's mind, he would say, to live as Christ to die is gain. Not to make that a cliche, but that's that's right from God's word. And he would say that his uh, his being used of God as an apostle for God to preach the gospel, to expand it to the end of the earth, as we see Christ command us in Acts, just got increased and increased and increased. That's where we want to see the increase, folks, if, if anything else. And, and that doesn't mean we all need to be St. Paul and go out and preach the gospel to the world. Some people are called to do that, and that's that's great. It should do that. That's mainly the, the role of pastors. But my role 
in that is to make sure my children live and still have their faith. My my, I've accomplished one of my big goals recently. I got my daughter through high school with her faith intact. That was a major goal, right? Now we'll see how stuff goes. She's dating, quote unquote. I say dating, more like a courting. We do that sort of thing right now. I don't even like that word because some guy, some evangelical, used that some time ago. That guy that did, I kiss dating goodbye. Anyway, she's dating a good Lutheran guy, so stuff's looking good because I want her, I want her to keep her faith. My next goal for her is to get married and have children and have her and her husband teach their children the faith and for the, their children to keep the faith. That's that's what I've been called to, according to the commands of Holy Scripture, and we can go into all that. And no matter what else happens in life, if the Lord preserves us and keeps us in the faith, I'm, uh, you know, I'm happy about that. That's that, that. I would consider that a life well lived. It's not complicated. It's not big. It's not grandiose. It's none of those things. But that's what God commands me in Scripture to do. According to the what we would call the fourth commandment, the fifth commandment for you Protestants, uh, other Protestants out there, <laughs> um, uh, obedience to, to mother and father, o- honoring of mother and father. That's that's part of my role as a dad, as I have been called, and, and St. Paul uh, details this a little bit more in his epistles, but that's my role. That's my calling. That's my vocation, to be a dad. And what does that mean? That means... You know, all the things Holy Scripture says it means. That's what I'm called to do, right? And if God prospers me in that, doesn't really matter whether or not, you know, tornado comes through and blows down. Not that it doesn't matter. But those things don't ultimately matter. I mean, this is what, uh, that's why we love that hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Especially the old stanzas. Take they our goods, fame, child, and wife. Let these all be gone. Nothing has been lost. The kingdom is ours. Yeah. That's that's what's ultimately important. But that's not important at all to Osteen. He doesn't even care about that. He's not even going to talk about that. We saw that with Jake's last week. None of these guys care about what we the treasure we have in God's kingdom. They don't care about God's word. They're talking about your temporal prosperity. That's their focus. That's what Osteen's talking about when he's you know talking about this increase. And that's where he gets confused with Holy Scripture because he's got a completely temporal view of God's Word and how it applies and how it should be interpreted. Because if he knew his Bible, and I'm not sure he doesn't know his Bible, uh, again, I don't think, I'm also another thing I'm sort of done with along with the because God said so issue. I'm not afraid to say that. And I hope you will become more bold in your willingness to say that to people, why do you believe this? Because God said so. What What do you want me to do? Believe something because you said so? Eh, I'll take a pass on that. Hard pass on because you said so. I'll go with what God said so. All right. Another thing that I'm kind of done with is treating people like they're ignorant. Now, I do kind of hold to the old notion that I don't know how old it is, but the notion that don't attribute to uh, malice, which you can contribute attribute to ignorance. Now, I really hope that Joel Osteen is ignorant of what he's doing, because if he's not, he is certainly condemned to hell. However, I don't think Joel Osteen is ignorant. I don't think he's stupid, dumb. I don't think he doesn't understand Holy Scripture. 
I think he's an agent of Satan. And he may be fully aware of that or may not care. He's making big bucks. He, he This is what gets him the big bucks. And he can smile and be cute all he wants to up there. But at the end of the day, he's doing the work of the devil. Let's just be straight about that. That's what he's doing. And whether he's aware of it or not, or he's just deluded himself so long he doesn't care anymore, I don't really care. Uh, aside from the Holy Spirit convicting him and turning him to repentance, there's no hope for him. And he sits there Sunday after Sunday preaching to thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people these lies that's, that take the promises of Holy Scripture and turn them into just these mere temporal promises. All right, let's keep going here. If you didn't close those doors, you wouldn't see the fullness of your destiny. We may not like the process. It's uncomfortable. We're doing the right thing, but the wrong thing is happening. We're working hard, but not seeing increase. Thoughts will tell you it's never going to get better. Don't believe those lies. That disappointment, the breakup, the slow season didn't stop what God has for you. It's getting you in position for favor that you've never seen. Your relationship didn't work out. God knew it was going to happen. That didn't catch him off guard. He's already lined up someone better than you can imagine. Your business has slowed. See, that's, that's a lie. That, that, that person broke up with you. He's got somebody better for you. That may not be true. Somebody today who... You know, just had a relationship, a romantic relationship end. They're going to walk out of there thinking, oh, no big deal. God has someone better in mind for me, so I'm going to be happy today. Well, a week goes by, a month goes by, a year goes by, two years go by, ten years goes by. And that better somebody doesn't come into their life like, like Osteen has promised here. What are they going to think about the Christian faith? That's why this is utterly satanic. Because Osteen just made a promise that God does not make. That romance that broke up doesn't mean that God's got somebody better in mind for you. He may have in mind for you to be single. And and, and again, God doesn't have either one in mind. <laughs> he, he makes provision for both. St. Paul says it's actually better to be single. Is Osteen going to bring that up? Because in what world is it better to be single? Not in this world. It's better to be single in this world only in the sense that that gives you more time and flexibility to preach the gospel. That's Paul, uh, St. Paul's benefit. He's single. He didn't have a wife and kids to care about. If, if St. Paul had wife and children, he probably wouldn't have been the apostle he was, I guess. I mean, we're speculating here. But he would have had more primary obligations. That's not to say that you can't be a missionary or be a pastor or anything with wife and children. But the point being that Osteen's not going to even bring that up. Why? Scripture has an answer to this. You had a relationship breakup? Well, Holy Scripture says that it's better to be single. you got more time to pray, read your Bible, spread the gospel. Okay? And that, and that may be, in fact, what happens. You may not come across somebody you want to marry. And that's okay. He can't give those words of comfort that are that are found in the Holy Scripture. No, he's got to say, no, God's gonna God's gonna find somebody for you. You know that door closed on your business. 
God's going to open it. That may not be true. Your business may stay closed. Um, tornado comes down, wrecks your house. It doesn't mean God's got a better house for you. Maybe you live in an apartment the rest of your life. Okay, that's that's not what Holy Scripture promises, and it's not nearly as comforting either. When we when we cling on to these temporal desires we have, especially as Americans, so tightly, and we forget that throughout history, people just have just haven't lived like this. We've got it. We've become accustomed to this level of comfort that we kind of expect. And in fact, expect so much, we try to turn it into God's promises. Down. The contract didn't work out. That setback is not stopping you. It's setting you up for new levels. You're going to come out not like you were before, but healthier, stronger, promoted, increased. John chapter 2, Jesus was at a wedding in Galilee. There was a big celebration with hundreds of people. Everything was going great until they ran out of wine. His mother. Yep. Yep. See, here we go. Uh, he's not going to open the passage. He's not going to open St. John's Gospel up and read this to us. He's going to paraphrase it. Came and told him about the problem. Jesus had not performed any miracles in public up to this point, but she knew something about Jesus that others didn't know. She told the staff to do whatever he asked them to do. There were six large water pots over to the side. They held 30 gallons each. Jesus told the men to go fill them with water. I can imagine them thinking, what good is that going to do? But instead of talking themselves out of it, they filled the containers and brought them back to Jesus. He said, now dip some out and take it to the host of the wedding, to the man that's in charge. Verse 9 says, when the host tasted the water that was now wine, he called the groom over and said, usually a host serves the best wine first. Then when everyone is full, doesn't know any better, he brings out the less expensive wines, but you have saved the best. Uh, again, that's not what the passage says. Uh, everybody's full, doesn't know any better. No, the pastor, when everybody's well drunk, when everybody's drunk, then the host brings out this, the, the bad wine. Just a detail. But see, these details kind of matter when it comes to God's word. If we believe it's God's word, then we would be concerned with the details, which is why we read the passage. But see, Osteen doesn't want to be bound to God's word. He wants to promulgate his lies. Till now. Notice how God works. If the wine had not run out, if they had not come to the end of what they were used to, they would have never seen the best wine. God saves the best for next. You may feel like you're coming to an end. You're running out of opportunity. Doors are closing. Running out of favor. What used to work is not working. Running out of resources. Having a hard time making ends meet. Maybe you're running out of strength. You're weary. You can't take it anymore. This may sound odd, but you're in a good place. When you come to the end, that's when God steps in and not just helps you get through it, but he says, I've saved the best for next. The best position, the best relationship, the best in your finances. You have more than you've ever had. 
the best in your health. You feel better than you've ever felt. The best in your family. You're happier than you've ever been. The fact that things are running out doesn't mean God has forgotten about you. You must have run out of favor. You must have done something wrong. It's a sign that God is about to do something that you've never seen. One translation says, she said to Jesus, we have no more wine. So again, with the, the, he's making a promise that, that this passage just does not teach, not in any clear way. Now, the, uh, the miracle at the wedding at Cana is, is a difficult passage in, in the sense that there's no straightforward message. And so everybody's going to analogize this, everybody, <laughs> including my pastor. He's going to analogize this, but where he's going to take this is going to be in accord with, with the rest of what Holy Scripture says. You can take this passage in isolation and say, well, Jesus says, or the passage says, you saved the best for last. And we could write a pop song about that, and we can take it and twist it like Joel has here. But instead, what you want to do is it interpret it in light of the rest of Holy Scripture. Now, where else is it promised that something goes bad in your life? Well, what that means is just something better is around the corner. That might be true. It might not be true. Something bad happens to you, something bad might be right around the corner. <laughs> this is the reality. And then after that, something bad, right around the corner, something else bad might happen right around the corner. We just don't know. That's not what Holy Scripture promises. And that, therefore, we can, I mean, Jesus says, in this life, you will have trouble. They will think it a good work. Now, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> but I think I'm coming pretty close. Um, they will think it's a good work when they kick you out of the synagogues and kill you. You'll never catch Osteen or any of these other charlatans preaching about that, about Paul being shipwrecked. But they'll take a passage like this, and they'll say, this is what, this is what the Bible says. And the point being, these are false promises, and people are going to walk out of there today and either never come to faith or lose their faith because of Osteen's lies. And that's just a simple fact of the matter. Now, how could we interpret this scripture more in accord with what the Bible actually teaches? What will we, what will we at last, as Christians, have? God's, God's kingdom in eternity. Do you not think that's the best for last? That might that might not be what Christ is, or at least a part of what Christ is trying to teach with this miracle here? I think so. It's in accord with the rest of the Holy Scripture. Well, Osteen thinks you're going to have your best life now. That's his slogan, right? We know that we're not going to have our best life now. Our best, our best life awaits us in God's kingdom to come. Sometimes we feel like we have no more. No more strength, no more vision, no more health. That's okay. There are seasons when you come to an end. You run out of a good thing. The first wine the people had was fine. Nobody complained. They were blessed, having a great celebration. But the wine was supposed to run out. It was a part of God's plan. If it didn't run out, they would have never seen the best wine. And what runs out in your life is not a surprise to God. The relationship that didn't make it, the company that let you go, the loved one you lost, the health that went down. 
That doesn't mean you've seen your best days. Just sit back and endure it. It means new levels of favor are coming, new levels of your destiny, better help, better opportunities, better relationships. It astonishes me. I, I just have to reiterate this. It astonishes me. You will never catch Joel Osteen talking about heaven and what happens after we die. It, it's always this temporal stuff. I, I understand that in American church culture, it has become passe to talk about the afterlife, talk about the resurrection of the body. And eternal life? Because it's just not practical, is it? You talk to people about that. Well, what about, you know, you got to preach to their everyday life. Sure. And Holy Scripture does preach to your everyday life. It just doesn't preach like this. It certainly doesn't. I mean, I'm going to bring in a good sermon after we get through this most popular sermons on YouTube that my pastor preached just a week ago. Very practical preaching. Good instruction in God's law and in keeping the commands of Holy Scripture had to do with how we live with each other in the church. Very good sermon. One of his best I've seen, yes. <laughs> Seems like that's a weekly weekly thing with my pastor. But Osteen here is going to stay on this. He's going to turn everything that is amazing about God's promises to us and, and his reconciliation of us to himself in our inheritance in his kingdom to come and just turn it into temporal advice. That's not only sad, it's satanic. It's satanic. God doesn't bring you out the same. You're going to look back and say like that host, you've saved the best for now. That person that walked away don't get bitter. They had to go so the best could show up. When you see what God does, who he brings, you'll say, I'm glad that old wine ran out. And there's uh, Osteen's offer to come and give money. Get this month's offer. You go there and they, hey, for a donation, we'll send you this free gift. Yeah, just wanted to throw that out. Uh, Jake's had that last week, kind of common theme among these fakes. I'm glad that old goat left. I mean, that old boyfriend left. Look what the Lord has done. Those co-workers that played politics kept you from the promotion, made you look bad. You thought you ran out of favor. That God had forgotten about you. That had to happen. When you see the new door God opens how he promotes you in the presence of your enemies, how he gives you influence and favor that you've never seen. You'll say, Lord, thank you. You saved the best for now. You took me where I couldn't go on my own. Don't be discouraged when something doesn't work out. Something runs out. You feel like you're at the end. You've studied your situation. You've tried to come up with a solution, but you've run out of options. You don't see how your business can make it, how your marriage will last how your health will turn around. When you come to the end, it's a good place. When you can't figure out a solution, that's when God steps in. You had to run out of wine before you could see the best wine. You had to come to an end so God can take it to a new level. So he can open doors bigger than you've imagined. 
So he can give you health, strength, peace, joy like you've never seen. The best is not behind you. The best is next. Now, it may look just the opposite. When you're running low, when you come to the end, thoughts will tell you it's all downhill from here. You're running out of time. All right. So anyway, enough of that. It's, yeah, it's, just, it's the same thing throughout, just, just different versions of it, different ripping passages out of Holy Scripture that don't mean what Osteen says they mean, just modified, you know, giving you his, his popish interpretation that you're going to carry out of there, and it may or may not be true. So, at any rate, that's really how we need to start thinking about things. So, again, really even maybe an overarching theme in this in this whole thing is that we need to start being bold about saying what this stuff is, calling it what it is, not pussyfooting around it or saying, oh, well, Joey's, you know, he's so cute. Good old Joey down there at Lakewood. He's really charming and attractive. It's, it's satanic. He, he is telling people stuff that is that is not true and that will lead them away from God's kingdom not to it what what Joel Osteen preaches does not lead people to salvation in God's kingdom it does not lead them to discipleship and reformation of life it leads them to sit in the compact center and give Joel Osteen money that's what it does and people are using the gospel all over the place I mean we see that it's promised in God's word. <clears throat> Talk about a promise in God's word. There it is. That people will use God's word to make money. And they're false teachers, and we should be aware of them. If you're not aware of them, get aware of them. If you know somebody that's not aware of them, share this podcast with them. Anyway, got a quit for this week. Please go to laymanstermsradio.org. <clears throat> that's laymanstermsradio.org and donate to the Men of Steel Project. We'll see you next week.